0: Welcome back,
1: Rebels. Hang on. You're, you're not Adam. Who the hell are you?
0: Hi, um, I'm, I'm Electra Electra Japonas, and I am the uh, founder and CEO of TLB, previously known as The Law Boutique, and I'm also the co-founder of NDA, which is a, a new initiative to standardise the non-disclosure agreement across the board because everybody hates them.
1: And you're also my contract lawyer, well, our contract lawyer for our company. Um, Electra thank you so much for stepping in to be um, to be Adam for this episode uh, where we interview my wife and um, business partner Yona Thomas and uh, yeah thank you thank you so much for stepping in I think when we hear about lawyers um, the word creativity doesn't always spring to mind uh, but you're one of the most creative people that I have met um, and so I think you are a perfect fit for this show.
0: Thank you. That's very kind. And uh, you guys were one of my first five clients ever when I first started the business. So it's amazing to still work with people that have seen it grow from the beginning. Um, And yeah, I think creativity is something that people don't think lawyers have. But I, I, I think that one of the reasons that the legal profession has such a high burnout rate is the fact that we are creative, which is why we like problem solving and therefore went into law in the first place. And when you're in an environment that doesn't, isn't conducive to that because it's, it's very different to what you might imagine, um, that, can, that can crush the soul. And so um, that's why we need, to build, we need to build the legal industry of the future that allows for creativity and, and, a, and a new way of working
1: yeah I mean you mentioned there us being one of your your first clients and I think that's always been important for us when when we're sort of going out there and looking for our clients is developing relationships with people rather than just like on a really transactional basis and um I feel like we've we've sort of developed friendships over the years and those turn out to be kind of the best business relationships um and and certainly in terms of when you're getting referrals and things like that if you are if you do have those great relationships those are going to be the people that you're always referring out and so word of mouth and and repeat business is always going to come in that way but yeah you you mentioned the um the the legal industry there and the the sort of lack of creativity i think it would be great to talk a little bit about the the gatekeepers because as you mentioned you are a bloody creative person and how much like You've bought definitely bought creativity into your practice. You decided to not to join a kind of standard law firm and get and go down that career path. You decided to do everything yourself and to try and change the industry, which is a, a bloody hard thing when everything is so like entrenched in concrete and stone. And and so have you found that there's been a lot of gatekeepers who are who have had resistance to you starting this new this new company and trying to do things differently? You mentioned the NDAs earlier. Uh,
0: yeah. So one of the very first things that we started to do is something that we call legal design, and legal design is effectively applying design thinking to law. So when you pick up a set of terms and conditions or a contract. Usually it looks really ugly and the language is unpenetrable. So it's really hard to read. It's alienating for the other side. And actually what it shows from from your business branding perspective is that you don't really care so much when it comes to the things that um, are really important. Because the way that you're going to contract with the other person is the foundation of your relationship. So lots of newer organizations are really cognizant of that. So they, came, they come to us and they ask us to revamp their T's and C's to make them more suitable for the reader, for the audience. And um, I did a, a few talks on this topic, with, like a few years ago when I first started the business, and I had people heckling me in an audience, in a legal conference, and I thought, what? This is really touching oh a nerve. Gosh. So me saying that law doesn't need to be so complicated and that actually we need to simplify it because what we're doing is we're alienating the audience and we're not getting the buy-in that we need. We make ourselves kind of look like a bit of you know, the other. We're other because we're lawyers. So we're considered different. We're, there's loads of lawyer jokes. It's because we behave in a way that isn't necessarily very human. So my premise from the outset has been, let's build a business, let's build a legal business that people actually understand, regardless of whether or not they are lawyers or otherwise. Um, And yeah, I got heckled. Um, I had a few articles written about some of the initiatives that we started that weren't very kind. And um, to be honest, that was really good marketing for us and really good publicity because we've got lots of people saying that was a bit out of order and that person needs to chill out. But ultimately there are, when you're doing anything differently, you will, people will be threatened. People will feel uncomfortable. Even if they're not threatened, they might feel like um, what you're doing is making my craft feel less important. Because you're saying simplify, you're saying do it in this way. And uh, you need to just persevere.
1: Yeah, that's so true. I I was talking to a young artist recently and... She she was like really grateful that I was helping her. And, and that was because like everyone that she's reached out to has kind of ignored her. And, and that's that sort of scarcity mindset of the next generation are going to come up and, and take your spot. If you're not innovating, then they deserve that spot.
0: Yes, I love that. It's the fear of scarcity. And that's exactly right. People think that, you know, if you're coming in with a new perspective, It's innovation, a massive buzzword in the legal world. And in my view, really wrongly used because people see innovation as just technology. Oh, I've got this new AI system. Firstly, is it AI? Secondly, why do you need it? Why don't we just rethink the way that we operate as a legal industry, the stuff that we do? Let's just really be honest with ourselves. Is it necessary to write a 150 page contract? I think it's really important. Um, that you ensure that any role that you have, whether you've created your own role or otherwise, that you are doing things that are helping you add value back into your community. Because if you don't do that, if you don't, ha- it don't, you don't have a purpose, you know, if you don't feel like you're purposeful and that you're adding value to something bigger, it's a bit soul destroying. And I think you always need to make sure that you're doing something that is bigger than you to an extent. And, and also... To be honest, it's quite a good lead generation tool to be known as the thought leader in this space. So from a commercial perspective, it makes sense, but also from a personal motivation point of view, it also is really satisfying.
1: I think that's so important. Um, I think we see so often... Creatives going out there and going, oh, but if you buy for me, I'm going to plant a tree or whatever. And these these kind of empty um, these empty promises, and we can see through those straight away. But when when there are actual change makers, there are people that w- within certain industries that are like, I want to make this better, then. They become the the key people of influence within those spaces that are going to be then looked for of like, OK, well, if there's a new idea, let's probably go and talk to that person because they're probably at the centre of, of all these new things that are going on. Yeah.
0: Behave a bit more like a community. I think collaboration is key as well and one of the big things that 1NDA showed us was that although the legal industry is very much kind of seen as a profession that works in silo if we all come together to solve a problem for the wider profession um that's when that's when you'll get true innovation
1: yeah absolutely so um it, it's really refreshing to talk to someone who has obviously met with so many like huge barriers coming along the way like you mentioned the heckling and stuff which which I mean, I think especially like early on in your career and you're just starting your business, you've got these people telling you like this, this is a bad idea. Um, I came across it recently when I was working for my show, um, pitching, pitching my show out to all of these kind of big places like Time Out and Metro and Evening Standard and none of them picking it up. And I mean, it's not as bad as being heckled, but it sort of gives you that that doubt on your shoulder of like, oh, maybe this is not a good idea. Um, but I think we're at that stage now where those gatekeepers are so um, they're so meaningless now. They 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 may have a lot of of residual pomp and circumstance that has been passed over through the years, and they may may be a recognisable name, uh, but it's less important than it ever was. Because if you if there's something that you want to do, literally we all have the tools now to just go out and do it ourselves, and that's certainly something that this week's guest Yona Thomas has done.
0: Absolutely. I think what Yona's done is amazing because she's she's such a self-starter. And even though she may not have had all the infrastructure around her to enable her to go out and do it in the most seamless way, she used all the tools that she had to get her voice heard, um, to get in touch with the right people that would support her, to get everything that she wanted out. And what she's done is just absolutely admirable.
1: Yes. So this week's guest is my lovely lady wife, Yonah Thomas, who has an incredible show. I know a lot of you guys came down and saw my show. It's in exactly the same building. So if you are in London, head to 33 Boundary Street, the depot, uh, to see what Yonah has cooked up. It is an amazing show. Very proud of her and had a really fun chat. This was a really great interview. I think there was lots of tangible advice in this one.
0: Thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute honour.
1: Hi, Yona. Hello. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So, Yona, it's been a while since you've been on Creative Rubbles. What's what's changed? What's new in your life?
2: Uh, what's new in everyone's life? The whole world changed. <laughs> lockdown happened. I was saying to someone earlier, actually, that um, the night that the first lockdown was announced and everyone started scrambling to the supermarkets for food um, and you and I just looked at each other and went, you go to the paint shop, I'll go to Callan and Wilcox, I'll get canvases, you get paint, and we just kind of bought all the creative stuff that we could find just thinking well we're going to be in the house for three months we're going to we're going to have so much time for creative projects
1: it was funny when the lockdown was first introduced wasn't it and they just said three months Mm. and everyone thought well I can do three months that'll be like a nice little holiday and so yeah we were definitely that's a chance to be creative let's go and grab some some art art supplies but yeah then 18 months later well
2: yeah I mean it it did kind of work out that way for you because you were instantly furloughed because there was nothing for you to do at work so you did have quite a bit of time to be creative and you've been painting lots and doing really well. We furloughed everyone but myself to start with, just as someone to kind of keep things ticking over. And it soon became apparent that even though there was no kind of paid work coming in, there was still lots of work to do, and I was working longer hours than I had been before lockdown. But I just got really jealous of everyone who had all this creative time on their hands. I had loads of friends who were just like, I'm on furlough, I've started a patchwork quilt, or I was just like, "That. Oh, I want to do that. <laughs> Um, And I love my job, you know I love my job. I was still itching to do something for myself, um, so I just started staying up later and started off by basically putting myself back on foundation course. Um, I started painting and embroidering, and just trying a bit of everything. And before I knew it, I'd kind of designed a range of products. I don't quite know how it happened, um, but I started designing things that I was really, really happy with and it all kind of came together. So I don't actually remember the designing process, it's almost as if like it just came to me. Like it wasn't, it was a thing that happened and now I, now I have to make them. It sounds really weird, but I don't remember how the ideas came to me, they just did. And so I decided that I was going to launch a range of products at London Design Festival this year.
0: Products? What kind of products are you talking about?
2: stupidly decided that I was going to create seven products in my first show. So I have a set of stacking stools, I have a mirror, I have some fabric and some wallpaper and some cushions, I have a set of nine modular rugs that fit together in several different ways and I have some hand cast tiles that also are modular and fit together in many many different configurations.
1: I think you ran through that super fast. (laughs) Um, The stacking stools for example these stalls look like something out of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. They're like absolutely incredibly designed, and you've had those fully manufactured, and you made prototypes, and like I mean, you went deep on every yeah. single product that you've that you've released. Yeah,
2: I think that's been the kind of the, the biggest learning curve because um, I've you know I, I am a designer. I've been a designer for years. Um, I do lots of the designing for for us at Graffiti Life. Um, I've always made things I've always built things I've always been really practical but I don't have a product design degree under my belt and I found that really quite hard and I said to you loads my David how I just wish I had a tutor to ask questions to because things like I designed a really lovely pattern. Well, I think it's really lovely. I designed a really lovely pattern and I was determined I wanted it printed on cotton velvet. And I knew this was possible to do in the UK because I know that there's somebody who, like there's a company that sells cotton velvet printed in the UK, Um, but I couldn't find them. And when you're not kind of in the industry and you don't have those contacts, it felt like I was hitting a load of like closing doors yeah it sounds like the journey
0: of an entrepreneur starting a completely new business where you've got to upskill on every corner on things that you don't even know yeah how what did you do did you google it
2: yes i did lots and lots and lots and lots of googling i've spent i think i spent about six months googling um i called people i asked people i quizzed people i um, reached out to people on instagram I I, Do you know what? It's just down to finding the right people because you can try and try and try and get nowhere for six months and then you find the right person. So, for example, the rugs. um, They're they're pretty big. They're handmade by me and there's absolutely no way that I was going to put that much work in and have acrylic wool. It had to be 100% wool um, and it had to be the right colours and it had to come on cones and finding 100% wool in the the kind of the nine right colors that I wanted um on cones in the UK literally took me six months and when I found the guy in Cornwall who sold me the world he said no, no I think I'm the only person in the UK that does in this range of colors and I was like oh I literally found the only person so that's the hardest part I think is 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 learning the things that you just don't know and have no means to find out other than just googling um yeah, finding finding like designing a stool and going right how do you get this made? How do I get the colors I want? How how does this physically work? And and even when you kind of found a method of well this is how the design will work, how the pieces will fit together, now finding someone who can physically do that for me. Um
1: Did you come up against any barriers when you were contacting hundreds of different people? Was there anyone who sort of didn't have time for you or wasn't interested in taking taking on any of your projects?
2: Oh, so many times basically i spoke to tens and tens of kind of middle-aged men who just heard a kind of a jolly female voice on the phone and instantly didn't take me seriously and instantly was like sucking their teeth at me going oh we can't do that oh no that's impossible no no and it was just lots of no's from people who just didn't want to know And that's fine, you know, people do what they do and they can't, you know, they don't have to take work on. But there was just, it felt like a lot of people just really not taking me seriously.
0: I mean, it is surprising as an entrepreneur myself, it's surprising to hear how similar that journey sounds to starting up a legal company. So it is weird because when I started up, I also was in a position where I kept asking people for support and most of them were really helpful. But in lots of instances, they just don't. don't. They don't necessarily have the time for you how do you pick yourself back up and
2: go back out looking dial up my personality interesting (laughs) I think so so instead of kind of toning down and trying to be more kind of like what they'd expect and yeah I just kind of supersized it and I'm like hi it's me again and just went really super jolly and like kind of took people by surprise and I think occasionally it worked in kind of disarming people <laughs> a little bit it's like oh here's this crazy girl yeah. again
0: yeah you sort of have to become a bit more assertive as well
2: don't you sometimes to a point where it's outside your comfort zone but that you don't da- you don't have a choice because otherwise you won't be heard definitely and I think that's been the hardest part apart from the research and the, the, the learning curves relying on other people for things mm. that the bits of the projects that have gone the most wrong and every project has things that go wrong is inevitable when you're kind of trying to cram two years of work into eight months I always knew that if I run out of time or if you know I've got a certain amount of work to do if I have to pull a few all-nighters I'll know I'll get it done but when you're relying on other people you know we had a few things that were delivered back and they weren't done properly just not quite up to standard and then you have to kind of phone and have awkward conversations with people and that's hard you know fending up and saying that what you've done isn't good enough and i find it really hard kind of relying on other people i know that what if i'm relying on myself i know i'll get it done relying on other people was quite hard especially when the work's so personal and it's you know it's my it's my debut product range
1: i think the real takeaway here is is the perseverance and the keeping on trying because you you may get through uh, there's certainly a lot of gatekeeping and it sounds like both of you have experience that in your career of people who are just really like holding on to the secrets and they don't want you to become a threat so they're not going to help you along along on your journey which I mean for me seems like the most backwards way of doing business that there is I think that that new faces and new ideas are are good I mean it's good to shake an industry up because I, I, I mean even if it's your competition like competition makes you stronger and it's only when we sort of we're in our business, when we got fierce competition, that was when we really like upped our game and started being much more creative with the stuff that we were doing. But um, so there's obviously the, the certain amount of gatekeeping involved, but there's also like people are really busy and like sometimes you just catch someone on the wrong day. And so that that perseverance of like just keeping on going and and it's funny, so what, your, your wool supplier and he's the only dude in the whole of the UK and i'm guessing he's probably been established since i don't know 1970 or something he's probably been in his business a long time he probably doesn't have any search engine optimization because he probably doesn't need it so when you're doing a google search it's going to be really hard to find those people so then it becomes a case of like networking like trawling through forums like really physically going out there like like almost walking up and down the streets it's like find the people that might know and ask yeah it
2: really was entirely like that and um One of the hardest things, like I said earlier, is finding somebody who prints cotton velvet. I'm not in the textile industry and finding somebody who does do that and then getting them to take me seriously enough to print off samples for me and do tests and that kind of thing. You know, finding that person in the first place. Um, We had to ask a previous uh, podcast guest, uh, Wayne Hemingway, um, and it was actually his advice in the end that that found me this, this factory. So it really is just kind of asking everyone and like finding out by any means
1: going through the rolodex in your head and thinking like who might know someone because i think six degrees of separation is really real and you probably know someone who knows someone who's going to be able to help you and and what you mentioned now i think is really important about being taken seriously you're phoning up and it's quite um understandable for them to just go who are you i've never heard of you and and not take you seriously
2: you have to understand that people people have money to make and businesses to run and a newbie to the scene is is kind of small fry but at the same time I guess it took a certain element of stubbornness it's it is stubbornness it's um I got the bug at the start of lockdown I got jealous of everyone else and I decided that I was going to do something for myself which you know I've been running um our business with you for 11 years Um, And I I love my job as well you know but I always felt like I was doing it kind of with you and Adam for you and Adam we're building this thing together I think it's incredibly important to have your own creative outlet if you're especially in in, you know we are the creative industry we are a creative agency we're a creative production house all of our team members have their own creative outlets outside of the office and I actively encourage that Um, I think it's really really important and I I I just really strongly feel that being creative outside of your full-time job even if your full-time job is creative just brings such like a wealth of informing to your day job. You know, since I've been doing this, I feel like I've been way more creative in my in my full-time job. Yeah. I think that so in the legal industry, burnout
0: is very high. Burnout rates are really high and that's because we don't always get the opportunity to exercise the creative parts of our minds. But actually, to go into law, you have to have a creative element because it's all about problem solving. And yet you go into the profession and there's no outlet. So you find yourself feeling really stifled. And that's one of the reasons I left it and I started my own business. And I'm still doing law, but not in the same way. And um, I actually had a hypnotherapy session the other day because I have a public speaking phobia, even though I'm fine on podcasts, obviously um I so I did this hypnotherapy session and he said to me if you're a creative you need to have a creative outlet you need to make time because that will settle your anxiety just more broadly and I thought that's so interesting that even even when it comes to your anxiety generally or or on specific things how you spend your free time will inform how you
2: behave more more broadly completely agree and I think that's why um so my, my company's called Styled by Night um, because everything that I do is at night or, you know, annual leave or weekends, <laughs> all the spare time. Um, but yeah, I, I and with Styled by Night, I, I really want to kind of encourage people to be creative, even if they can't be in their full-time job, just to start a patchwork quilt or an embroidery or something. You don't have to share it with anyone. You don't have to do anything with it. It doesn't have to lead to anything, but I just feel that, it has so many benefits, um, you know, for your mental health, mm. even just having something that's kind of, even if it's just like a monotonous embroidery, something that you just do with your hands while you're watching telly. I think the health benefits of that are just enormous. They're kind of de-stressing and just putting everything into a monotonous task and achieving something. It's, it's I think. It's yeah. And, I, and another thing that I think is that our professions a lot of the time are sort of, there's
0: no tangible output. So if you're not a creative, you're typing. So what what do you create? There's nothing to touch at the end of it, and to have something that you can touch at the end is really just amazing. But the thing that I struggle with is where what should I do?
2: I have no talent. Where where do you start? We have that a lot at, um, at Graffiti Life when we're doing workshops with people, um, like graffiti workshops and. Everyone always starts by saying, oh, I'm not creative at all. I can't even draw a stick man. By the end, they've created something that's way better than they thought they could. Um, and I think I think it's just trying things, just literally trying things. When I started kind of giving myself this creative reboot, the start of lockdown, I, I was making paintings, I was making jewellery, um, I was making embroideries. I just just try anything, just try anything.
1: And I think it's not being afraid to fail with it as well. So when we get home from work and we've had a stressful day at work and we sit down and we do a, a watercolour and we've never used watercolour before and it's really bad, we get really frustrated and go, oh, well, I'm shit at painting. Not realising that, I mean I would say I'm quite good at painting I tried watercolor during lockdown and I absolutely sucked at it because it's not it's not my skill set and that was like a real bruise to my ego because I was like oh I'm, I'm a painter I'll be good at watercolors and I like, absolutely sucked it's a completely different medium completely different tools obviously watercolor does not behave like spray paint does so I have to learn from scratch I have to start right at the beginning and I think Electra you said what a lot of people say is like oh I haven't got any talent but like if you're, if you're creative and you're a problem solver, then there's a problem right in front of you that like, let me work out what I can get good at because no one's born good at everything or yeah, really good at anything. very true.
0: I think you're right though. You just sort of think if I'm not good at it, I probably shouldn't attempt it. But actually the purpose isn't performance. The purpose is let's do something that is a creative outlet. And and when you're trained in a specific way, which we are as children in this system, um, you it's hard to get away from that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I have to say like looking at Jonah's work, like I'm so impressed at this like this is a debut range. And obviously I'm a little bit biased, but um but looking at this work, if I take myself out of like Jonah's business partner and boyfriend for the past 11 years. If I take myself out of that role and just try and look at it as objectively as possible. When I look at these stalls that uh, that arrived the other day, like they you could find them in the lobby of the Hilton. When I look at these rugs, you could absolutely walk into any sort of, I don't know, like swanky up to up market restaurant and be greeted at the door by like these beautiful rugs. Like they just they just look completely legit. And and that's really come through just continued like experimentation and adaptation and loads of mistake making, loads of research and then just throwing yourself into it like like you have thrown yourself into this project like 100%
2: yeah I really have and I think that what Electra was saying about um you know wanting to be good at things and I think maybe I am quite self-conscious and maybe not the most confident when it comes to my own work and I think that um love you and Adam to bits but I, I definitely have been sensitive to criticism over the years um, working with YouTube because you kind of you, you kind of speak as you find and, and you you tend to just go I don't like that bit straight away as opposed to I like it I just don't like that and it kind of I think that maybe over the past 11 years I've put myself and my work on the back burner a little bit and just let you kind of run with it because you're the creatives you're the artists kind of thing and, um, and it just got to a point where it ha- something had to give and everything seemed to be changing for everyone so I was like no now's the time So, yeah, I did really throw myself into it. It kind of felt like it's now or never. And I guess what really helped was giving myself a deadline Mm. as well. Um, I decided and I started telling people that I was going to launch a range at Design Week this year. Um, And so then I just had to do it. I think that's one of those things that really helps in any project is if you start telling people, oh, no, I'm going to do this. I'm, I'm launching a range at Design Week. And you just look like an idiot if you don't. Yeah. (laughs) So you just have to do it. Throw yourself in the deep end. It really helped me. I think deadlines are so good for me. Yeah, I think what you did there is
0: you made yourself accountable to ensure that you delivered. Yeah.
2: And it was a conscious decision as well. I first told, um, we were having a Friday drinks Zoom call with the team and I first told everyone on that. And I was like, oh, sugar, now I've actually got to do it. Because if I tell the team that I'm going to do this... Then I ha- I really have to, because I can't, I, ca- I can't set that example. I
1: think that I think the language is really important there as well, because so many people will say, "I'm thinking of doing this thing," or uh, "At some point, I'm going to do this thing," and all of this kind of wishy-washy language that gives you an out. And I think so many people do that. And it's as soon as you declare, "I am going to," in September, I will be launching, and really be specific with your times, your dates, and and your intention. That's when you're that's when you when you really do put yourself on the line and yeah and you do look like a, yeah. a wally if you don't follow through with and that.
2: also um how you talk about yourself as well i think um i have started when people ask me what i do now i've started saying i'm, I'm a product designer because i now am i have designed products yeah. <laughs> as soon as you design your first product you are a product designer and i think that more than just kind of showboating i think that's just for your own brain mm. You know starting to build that confidence within yourself
0: um well uh you know you've always been my fashion icon i mean you look you always look amazing and i think that the products having seen pictures of them they are very reflective of your personal style and you described an experience earlier that i'm really interested in you said that you went into a bit of a a bit of a black hole a bit of a whirl when you were creating these these designs can you can you talk me through that a
2: bit more? Yeah, I mean, thank you for saying that. Um, I'm your style icon. I'm absolutely covered in jesmonite. I've got it. In my, I actually dipped my earring into some jessamine earlier, so I'm completely caked in in kind of basically concrete type stuff. This range actually it's called Zabrina the range, um, and it's called Zabrina because it's all inspired by a plant that I um, when lockdown happened. I I did not have green fingers at all at all um and we were leaving the office and I looked around at all of the um the lovely plants that that our colleague and and very very big help on this project of mine Matt um had been lovingly tending these plants for a long time and I looked around at them and thought shall I take them home I'm only going to kill them well I guess they've got as much chance of survival at home with me as they have in the office on their own so let's give it a go and one of the plants I took home was this plant called a Tradescantia zebrina and I just kind of fell in love with it a little bit and I started drawing it I made a painting of it I then turned it into kind of a more kind of graphic illustration and then that became a repeat pattern um and then I was like oh that that would make a really nice fabric and then it became a fabric and a wallpaper and then I designed um, I designed some things that kind of complemented it um, and before, before I knew it I had a range of seven products that were all kind of inspired wow. by this painting I did of a plant that I might not have taken home for lockdown um, and the, the, the product range around it, it's not all floral it's the, 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 the wallpaper and the, the velvet are floral and they're on a stripy background and all the other products are kind of pulling the colours out and the stripes Um And yeah it just it just happened really really naturally and i kind of felt like it must be right if it's just flowing out like this it felt like it was something that already existed that kind of wanted to get out through me as opposed to me designing it and i feel like when something feels that right it must be it must be meant to be yes (laughs) I don't mean in the kind of a mystical way I just mean that I think that that is the sign of a good design process it feels like it's kind of flowing that well I always say that this in business as
0: well when something feels too hard it's not right there's a difference between resilience and grit and perseverance and something feeling really frictiony and I think when the friction's there you sort of need to listen to that and when it's not you should flow with it and allow yourself to take those risks which clearly you have and now you've created a
2: whole range, which is insane. And it was hard, but you're right. There's a difference between friction hard and something that doesn't feel right in your gut and something that is really like, well, type two fun, isn't it? It's the, it's the, <laughs> the, the really, really hard stuff that when you get through it, you really feel like you've done something and achieved something.
1: Yeah, I, I think if you'd have sat down and said, I'm going to design a whole range of products and there's going to be a wallpaper and stools and rugs and all of this stuff, you wouldn't have done it. But what you did was you just listened to your intuition. You, you, you decided, okay, here's a lockdown. Here's some art equipment. Let's get back to painting because you hadn't painted in years, but you like you always enjoyed painting when you were younger. Let's mess around with that. See where that takes me. And then it just happened to take you down this path I know obviously you've always been interested in interior design and products that go within the home and all of that sort of stuff so it does feel like it was a logical progression but you never set out with that as the as the end goal you just sat down to have some fun and be creative
2: yeah I definitely definitely have always been interested in pattern design and, and product design um, I didn't know how far I would take it or how seriously I would take it um, and it definitely wasn't the intention when I started painting Um but I mean, it's, it is very much my world. You know, I go to I go to Milan every year for the Design Fair. Um, I trek all around London for Design Week every year. Uh, you know, it's it is definitely what I love. But you're right; it, it wasn't necessarily where I was going when I started out with that painting. It's just a happy accident.
0: And now that you've started and you've created a range, what's next?
2: I'm really, I'm really super proud of this range. I'm really hoping that I'm going to meet some. Um, some great people at the show Uh, hopefully I'm going to start partnering with people maybe get some orders in I'd love to work with some designers I'd love to work with some hotels I'd love to I'd love to really kind of push this range as far as it can go and just meet people that want to work with me and design ranges with me um I think I've got a lot more in me
1: are there any um is there anything that you've learned through running our business for so many years that has kind of uh, that are skills that are transferable that you've sort of used in the launching of this range
2: I think I've been pretty practical um, in our agency and with the creative kind of production house we you know we build things we make things we paint things um, there's definitely definitely kind of skills I've honed over the the past 11 years that that have been practically helpful in building things even in you know building our show at the moment matt one of our wonderful colleagues um founder of dirty fingers club who has helped me immensely on this pro- project um we do builds together for our day jobs, so we we make installations and design wonderful interactive activations for brands and he's over at the gallery now helping set up my show he's he's putting my panels on the wall and there's there's no way that I could be putting on this show if I didn't have that practical help um and the practical knowledge that we have have kind of become experts in over the past 11 years doing large-scale productions for brands um I think that that and the fact that I've been going to kind of design week shows over the world for for years i had this vision of what i wanted my show to look like and i knew how i wanted it to look um and i knew that if me and matt sat down together we would be able to kind of i i said i want it to look like this and he would know how to do it and um so i think yeah that kind of creative partnership that i have through work has been been absolutely invaluable on this project Um, and yeah that just the knowledge of of large scale productions
1: when you think about projects that we've been involved in the past like one of the key things is knowing that it has to be an experience and that it can't just be about the work there has to be some sort of element and you've really brought that into your show yeah i
2: think that that's something i was saying to matt just yesterday actually was i i often get quite frustrated going around um trade shows and, and furniture shows and and design weeks because it seems so obvious to me that what you want is for people to come to your show photograph it share it and in, in the age of Instagram, why are people not creating vignettes that are perfectly set up for Instagram? I've got at least four or five in my in my show that are perfectly designed to be a individual vignette that you could could photograph. It It's begging to be photographed and put on Instagram. And that's what you should be doing. I've been to so many shows where they've almost got something nice here, but they've put something else in the way there so you can't quite get the shot and you just end up getting frustrated and leaving. Um, and lots of people go to these shows just for the sake of... Finding fodder for their Instagram because they're passionate about design. I did it. I've done it for years. Go to these shows that styled by night. The Instagram um, I have started off as sharing design. I still share design that I love. I think there's some like great, amazing work that people don't see enough of. And so I go to shows. I post things. And I get incredibly frustrated when the designers of the show don't make it easy for people to share their work. And so hopefully that's what I've achieved with the show: is that everywhere you look, there's a little. Yet that you could photograph and share. Mm. So I think that's definitely something I've learned over the years.
0: That's interesting, isn't it? Because um, there's a different way now uh, that was it that didn't exist sort of five, seven years ago uh, for sharing content and content in this instance includes whatever you've produced. So if you're not, if you're not optimizing the way that you're exhibiting your product, it will hinder your ability to market it in the way that you want to. And I think that sometimes you need to have that business acumen in any area so that you can think, okay, cool, I've done this thing, it looks beautiful, but where's it going to go? And how do I optimise the way that I present it in order for it to be as successful as possible? So that is definitely a transferable skill, isn't it?
1: And I think you can carry that on with any creative practice. It's like, if you do spoken word and normally you're doing it in your kitchen, like what's the beautiful backdrop that's just, let's, looked- going to capture people in the first three seconds when they when they're scrolling on tiktok or wherever you're putting your videos out like how can you get people involved and and grab them into your into your sphere capture their attention so that you can like show them what you. it's branding
2: it's branding yeah i'm sat in front of a mural that i uh designed now in fact (laughs) but um no you're right it's um it is branding and it's it's pushing pushing everything that you do and letting people see it every opportunity um I even had, um, I've had a suit made in the fabric that I designed (gasps) that I'm going to wear on opening night. And I was just you know, it's it's lovely and it's gorgeous and it's such a treat and it's a real indulgence. But I just keep saying to people, it's branding, it's branding, it's marketing. It (laughs) is. What you were saying earlier about um, this didn't exist five to seven years ago, um, this way of kind of marketing yourself and, you know, it's very new. And I think what it has done is make everything like so much more democratic. And it's stuff that we've talked about on the show, you know, a bunch of times but i feel it's pretty cocky launching yourself as a product designer with a solo show <laughs> launching seven products at design week and i feel like that almost couldn't have happened a few years ago either you know it's, it's something that could be frowned upon within the industry you know you, you have to work your way up what what school did you go to where did you learn what do, who did you work for where did you know and it's it's same as the music industry and loads other in instagram has made things a lot more democratic that um and it is cocky having a show launch myself as a debut artist with solo show
0: yeah look let's have a chat with justin bieber and see if he's being frowned upon now do you know what i mean Um, it's it's a different yeah it's a different world it is much more democratic and this elitism is hopefully being removed through the fact that we now can all have a voice if we choose to
1: remember when we were chatting about you potentially going back to uni and I was looking up like night schools and stuff for you to go to and we looked at it and I, I mean you can tell the story, but incredible cost and really we just decided let's just throw yourself into yeah. it. Yeah.
2: I mean, I was about to say that, that you know, there is such a place for those institutions. Um and maybe not the snobbery, but I do feel that me and Dave had this debate a lot. Do I need to do a course or do or can I do it? Can I learn on my own? And I I have. It would have been a lot easier if I had studied product design and had people I could kind of draw on their their wealth of knowledge um and I have a very good friend Ruben who's doing a product design course at the moment and I keep picking his brains and asking what he's up to and you know I I, there is a kind of an element of jealousy there but at the same time I couldn't afford to do it the course I looked at was was I think twenty four thousand pounds for a product design MA um which absolutely couldn't afford and and couldn't afford the time um off work either and I think that for years I and I think lots of people do this but they make excuses not to do things oh I'm too busy I haven't got the time I've got the money um and for me I think that I would haven't got the the qualifications yeah and I think for me I did definitely make excuses for myself and I mean I was busy I'm not gonna lie um David and Adam do like to start new projects and leave me looking after old projects (laughs) And I have been really, really, really busy. But at the same time, I was kind of using that as an excuse not to do my own thing because of, well, various reasons, like I said earlier, lack of confidence probably um, and feeling kind of inadequate or or imposter syndrome and all those things um, that we've talked about loads of times on here um, that do affect us all. Um, I, yeah, I just hit a point. I was like, no more excuses. No more excuses. Got to do it. Just got to do it. And um, I couldn't go back to school. Couldn't afford to... So there was only one way, and that's to find out myself. Use the internet. Yeah. I mean, the good thing
0: about doing a course is that, A, it validates you internally, and you think, well, if I've got the paper, then others won't doubt me because I can show them this. And then the other thing is that it gives you knowledge in a structured way. So it, it enables your learning. But actually, if you live in an information era like we do, it's all accessible, usually free so if you've got the if you've got the appetite then it's there for you to consume
2: yeah i think that's what i really because you know i do i loved university i loved my a levels i loved studying and i love kind of learning so i kind of was i did feel like that structured like you said the structured flow of information people knowing what it is that you need to know in the right order um and who knows where it takes you that that's a really lovely kind of prospect to me um and the fact that when you're learning on your own you don't really know what you don't know until you need to know it and all of a sudden it's upon you and you're like wow (laughs) like if I was on a course right now I'd be going through this bit by bit and learning and building up on this knowledge and by your third year you'd be like I can do this this is great I know how to find manufacturers I know how to source this I know how to design that and make that and um yeah that's what i felt like i kind of lacked is is just all of a sudden being hit in the face with and the fact that i decided to make seven products couldn't start with one had to do an entire range so instead of like david said when he was learning to paint it's like i need to learn to paint that is what i need to do that's one thing learning one thing at a time whereas i'm making rugs sewing cushions finding printers finding cnc cutters um you know, like all of these different things that I have to go deep into so that I can understand my own products and design them to the best that they can be. I'm going deep into seven different things and multiple things like layers within those things. It's just, yeah, it was a lot. Wow. I'm tired. Just listening to you.
1: (laughs) I'm tired. (laughs) A bit. So we, we, we spoke about the, um, about, um, we spoke about the the sort of experience side of the show and obviously one thing we always say on here is make shareable content um and every time someone does come along to your show and shares it on instagram that's going to be like a flag that you've planted but how have you tried to get sort of real decision makers and the people that you want to see your work how have you managed to get them to attend your show
2: well firstly i think that um one of the first things I decided was that I was I wasn't just going to have kind of a satellite show I was going to do it as part of London Design Festival and Shoreditch Design Triangle, um, so I'm in all of their publications um, on their websites. Um, but I also started making a list very 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 early on of people that I wanted to work with. Um, from the very start, had a running list: who do I want to work with? Who is this work going to appeal to? Where do I want to be seen? Where do I want my rugs to be placed? Um, And started finding, you know, even like hotels that I've been to that I absolutely love, finding out who designed those hotels and approaching them directly. Um, Even making kind of um, like real-time invites and hand-delivering them to people's offices, like literally stalking people around London. I walked all around. East. Luckily, lots of these people are in East London. (laughs) So on the hottest day um, a couple of weeks ago, I trekked around East London, hand-delivering invites to people um, who I who I wanted to come and it's, it, it, you know, it, it does work. I have had a few RSVPs from people who I desperately wanted to come to the show.
1: Because who, who because who hand delivers a handwritten invite in this day and age, you get yeah. your Eventbrite link and that's it. Like that's it's because you've gone that extra mile.
0: But that all sounds really strategic. Like as much as you didn't really know exactly what you were doing, when it comes to how you're gonna succeed with this product, that all sounds very strategic thinking about who it is, thinking about who you like and why you want them there, how you're going to deliver
2: the message. That's all very, very smart, very businessy. I think that when, when you asked, you know, how, what has the past 10 or 11 years being in a creative role kind of done to inform this new career? Um, yeah, absolutely. That kind of sense of, we are creatives, but business is at least 50% of what we do. And so it's, it's all very well and good Learning how to make things and being the best you can possibly be, uh, best you can possibly be at the craft of making things and producing things and drawing things or whatever, whatever it is that you're creating. Um, the business side of things obviously has to be just as important. Um, that's definitely something I've learned through the past eleven years, and also through Creative Rebels. You know, we we do an awful lot of research. We've talked with some amazing people on this podcast, and it's just been drummed into us that there's that. You, if you build it, they will not come. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the whole, will it make the boat go faster? I've always known who I want to be at my show. Every decision I make, I'm doing it with the long view. Will this help me get that person as a client? Will that help me work with there or be stocked by this place? Um, so, yeah, I think the, yeah, the long view. is
0: And also the, the personas that you're creating in your mind, what I'm doing and the way I'm doing it, will this appeal to this person? And when you've got an individual in mind, um, it's just so much easier to design something that's effective because you're not just thinking about this faceless audience. You're really pinning it to an individual, to a human being, and you can uh, create things that appeal to them.
1: Now you struggle a little bit with social media. What are your hang-ups? Because I think they're probably very similar to a lot of listeners.
2: Um, time is my only hang-up with social media. I, I, I have no problem with kind of putting myself out there. A lot of people find Instagram quite taxing and quite um, um, quite difficult and exposing. Um, I, I actually don't mind any of that. Um, I love I love Instagram. Um, met some great people through instagram have some great friends through instagram that are coming down to the show i i i don't struggle with any of that i just struggle with time when i have a deadline and it's a choice between finishing my rug and getting getting the back glued and edged tonight before i go to bed and sitting down and putting an instagram post out much as i just said it's 50 50 and you have to do these things finishing the, the actual work <laughs> will always come first um so yeah time is what is i um with social media. i hate instagram yeah i do. find it
0: stressful I find the way that I consume the content on there sometimes quite stressful going through the stories. It's like, what am I doing? I'm just, uh, just stop hitting me, but I can't stop. And then when I'm doing Instagram, I don't know what to do. You know, there's no, I I think I want it to look really perfect, but I also don't want it to look contrived. So there's a bit of a tension in
2: my head about how I do it properly. Well, you know, David's motto. Published is better
1: than perfect. True. Yeah, published is better than perfect. I I live by that. I really think I think it holds so many people back because they want they want things to look um, a certain way. And although it's very nice to land on someone's page and they've got all of their grid aesthetics looking very sexy, really, what matters is the content that you're delivering to people as they're scrolling. So they're they're not going to see what happens on your page. You've got to capture them. And, and I mean. Instagram is increasingly moving towards video. So I would say, be making videos as much as possible, capture people in the first couple of seconds of those videos, and then it's the content. It's the the creative that is the variable. It's, it's if you're delivering something that's going to educate or entertain someone, and you're doing that frequently, you're always showing up, they're seeing your stuff regularly, They know that they can rely on you because I was uh, I think I was saying this in an intro recently or maybe it was in a discussion with someone because I've because I've just had my show. I've had so many of these conversations. I can't remember where they were happening, but um, I was talking recently about how it's so easy to follow someone, but yet we are also protective about how many people we do follow, because as soon as you click that follow button, you're then inviting them like you're going to be giving them your attention and your time and your attention is really valuable so they people need to see that you're not going to let them down that you're going to be constantly entertaining them with the shit that they want to know about so i think too many people are focusing on using these platforms for them and it's all about them so here's something that i'm doing here's something about me rather than focusing on the end user, the person who's viewing your content and what they take from it, whether it's um, artwork that they enjoy looking at, whether it's information that's going to enrich their life somehow, something that they're gonna learn, maybe it's gonna make them laugh, maybe it's a, a, a old information that they already know but it's presented in a new and exciting way. Whatever it is, always have that end user in mind when you're creating your content. and. I know that there's the fatigue and I know that it it can become a bit of a hamster wheel where you're like continuously like feeding the beast. I think it's important to, if you need a break, like the algorithm will catch up with you in the end. Yes, it will hurt you in the short term, but just take a fucking break. That's what I'm doing at the moment. Like I'm helping Yona with her show. I've got no time to be making neon paintings. There's no content from me. And when I do my first three or four posts, they're going to suffer. But then I'll be back and I'll be regular. And so if you need to take a break, don't let it stress you out. At the end of the day, it's social media. It's not a big deal. It's really helpful for you in terms of business. But... There's so many businesses that are thriving that don't have mm. any social media accounts. Our guy selling wool in fucking on uh, our guy selling organic wool on on cones. Yona is he killing the Instagram game? Is he doing reels? <laughs> he I, is on Instagram, I but it. I
2: don't think particularly active by the looks of things. Um, But it has a roaring yeah. trade.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, we can use these platforms. They are a great they are a great tool for business, but if it makes us feel bloody nauseous every time we go on it, then don't use it. There are alternative platforms. There are. There is just networking face-to-face. There is just meeting people. Basically, your goal is to become oversubscribed. And we always talk about Daniel Priestley's book on this show. Um, your goal is to have more people that want your service than, than you, you can currently tend with. That can be done simply by word of mouth. That can be done simply by going out and talking to people. It can also be done maybe easier by using social social media but we've got to work out what's best for us and our yeah. mental health at the end or of the day hand
2: delivering invites handwritten invites
1: yeah handwritten <laughs> invites i love it it's like it's so it's so retro that it that it stands out i mean me doing a thousand prints and putting them in the street i don't think as many people i don't think i have a busy show like i did if I hadn't done that, that really like tangible, physical thing, it can only reach people in London, it, which like massive, is not a global audience. It's like a really small audience. But then I did use social media to kind of amplify it. And then I got messages from people who were in other countries who were saying, I was following along this journey. I was seeing people discover it in East London, which is a place that I've never been to because I live in Australia or wherever it was. So people were still being part of it. But for those people in London, the people who actually physically held a piece of my artwork that they'd been out searching for and they found those people were the were the people that then were coming to my show meeting me in person telling me stories of what happened and that was all that's all so analog so jona what has been your biggest takeaway from putting on this show other than you need to go <laughs> to sleep <laughs>
2: that's what i was gonna say um I, w- I mean i wouldn't change a thing i would perhaps give myself a little bit more time <laughs> Um but you, you know you can always you can always use more time, can't you? Um, my biggest takeaway I think that just just doing it, just starting something, just giving yourself some time to do something, I think finding pe- the right people to work with as well, and relying on the right people um mentioned Matt earlier has been an absolute trooper throughout this process and we we work very 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 well together and um, we call each other kind of the other half of the, of our brain because when one person's struggling with with a solution to something the other person will come along and go well no we just do it like this won't we and it's like, oh yeah why didn't I see that and we do that so much between us that mm. that I think finding the right people to, to kind of work with and rely on um and you know I'm very fortunate to have a lovely team at Graffiti Life and all over who are excited and creative and get behind what we're doing and really, really support us and pick up the slack when they need to. Um, And yeah, it's just been really, it's just been a really fun journey. It's just been fun. It's been really hard work, but it's been a lot of fun.
1: That's amazing. could you let people know where they can find the show, where it's going to be? I know a lot of listeners um, came down to my show and you're actually in exactly the same venue. So those guys already know the uh, the details, but let everyone know where they can find your show and where they can find you online. OK,
2: so from um, the 18th to the 26th of September, I'll be at the depot, which is 33 Boundary Street in Shoreditch. Um, so pop down and say hi if you do. Um, and my Instagram is underscore styled by night underscore please drop me a line and say hello and yeah hope to see you at the show
1: amazing thank you so much and thanks to my awesome co-host electra couldn't have done it without you thank you dude